my friends. Uh, welcome to Art Nerds. Uh, this is the place where we get to talk to our nerdy friends about their art. My name is Michael Bryant, and today I am here with my good friend, Mr. Dean Geiken. How are you, Dean? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Oh, my pleasure. I am excited to talk to you. I really am, because I've seen some of your work, some of your artwork on online and your your social media posts. Please, please, please. What do you? What is your art? What is the art artwork that you delve into? That's a very broad brush, no pun intended. That is, a, and it's intended to be. <laughs> that you're asking that question with. Um, my art is, I've never really considered it to be my art because I guess I've never really looked at it as being, you know, uh, something that I've considered artic, art, artistic, I'm sorry. Um, but my big thing that I enjoy doing a lot of is, or I should say I used to do a lot of costuming for both cosplay and, more importantly, and it was a big part of my life, historical reenactments. Now, which one's more important, the historical or the cosplay? The 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 cosplay is more current. Okay. But the historical reenactment stuff is more important to me. And it's important to me because with cosplay, you're kind of mimicking something that's already been created. And I mean that in a, uh, a sense like you're copying somebody else's design but in historical reenactment there are existent examples but if everybody made their clothing the same way as that existent example we'd all look the same it'd be kind of a carbon copy right so you know i do medieval reenactments i've done roman stuff i've done wow uh civil war i've seen some of your civil war stuff yeah and american revolutionary war maybe that's what you've seen is probably the american because yes, i haven't what, done that's... yeah i haven't <clears throat> done civil war in a long time and i also do world war ii reenacting so aside from world war ii reenacting i had to make almost everything that i was wearing for both me and my family and sometimes for some of the people who are part of our group so you're pretty proficient with a sewing machine and needle and thread and I know my way around it but I would never call myself a uh, a tailor in that sense. Uh, yeah, okay. Okay. But I I think tailor is that's a profession. A, it's a profession, but I think that's a step up from being a a, a decent seamster. Exactly. Exactly. Um I can read a pattern and I know how to, you know, put it together. Okay. Um, sometimes some of the patterns don't exist for some of these things, <laughs> um, or you're working with something that, uh, you know, uh, maybe isn't the most historically accurate and you've got to kind of adjust it. Sure. And part of that is, and why it's so important is because you want to portray history accurately. There's a lot of people who run around in stuff that is just not historically accurate. Right. There is a... There's a limit to how much somebody can put into it, or I should say, you are limited only by how much effort you want to put into this. I try to put as much effort as possible, but I don't go to the length of hand-stitching everything. <laughs> okay. Do uh, you know what I'm saying? No, no, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? I mean, we do live in the modern world. Right. Or using purely historically accurate materials which are sometimes impossible to find right or you know dyeing your clothes as opposed to just buying them already right the color you want them to be you know that and, type and, of stuff yeah 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 um how did you get I mean, how did you get into the whole first of all historical reenactment i think is 
for me is very interesting because I've never done it. I've seen right. bits and pieces of mm-hmm. it. I've been through like other friends have taken me to events. It's, but how did you get into it? Okay, and what possessed you to start creating your own? <laughs> okay, getting that deep into it. All right. Well, uh, I've always had a love of history. Okay, ever since I was a kid, always wanted to. And to be honest with you, if I couldn't, uh, if I wasn't doing what I'm doing right now, I think I would probably love to be a history teacher. Really? Yes. Um, but I'm kind of glad that I didn't go in that route. Because, you know, uh, hindsight is twenty twenty, and it probably wasn't going to be the, the thing for me. But anyway, uh, when I was in college here, um, I got involved with a thing called the Society for Creative Anachronism. Okay, yeah, I've heard yes, of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it is a, a reenactment society that portrays the best parts of history. You know, they don't do like, you know, disease and plague and, you know... <laughs> all that kind of stuff. But it, it encompassed everything basically from about 600 to 1600. So it was an amalgamation of different time right, periods. Right, but that's a, that's a... Yeah. But you could pick a particular time period and be part of the party. And that's really what it was. It was kind of a big social party where everybody had a shared interest in history. You could do training in all kinds of things. You could do you know, martial art training or you could do archery or you could do things on you know uh, creating... You know, uh, games or doing traditional dyeing of fabrics, making clothes and stuff like that. But in order to be part of the group and fit in, you had to dress the part. Okay. Okay. So you're at your meetings and you're dressed just like you and I are today. But when you go to the big events, as they called them, you had to be in garb. Historically accurate? Well. As close as to be. Well. (laughs) I'll let you talk. <laughs> you got out of it what you put into it. Okay. Okay? Yeah. So there were some people who just made a simple tunic, which was essentially a long-sleeved T-shirt dress, if you want to call it that, you know, and put mm-hmm. a belt around their waist, and then they had fun. They were still wearing tennis shoes and blue jeans. You know, that <laughs> wasn't quite right. Or you'd get these people who just went all out and they would make something like a hoopalanda, which is a, a 14th century uh, garment that has like really long billowy sleeves, mm. but it's tightly fit in the chest and the waist and that type of stuff. Okay. And, or they'd make braids and chausses, which are underwear and leggings. You know, pants weren't necessarily always like what we have today where they're one piece of, of garment. Your pants were essentially chausses or leggings that you tied up to your underwear with two pieces of string. <laughs> and so, That's, yeah, yeah. This is it, a great lesson for me, too. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you, 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 under, you get to learn about some of the, the clothing styles, and you pick the century or the time period you wanted. And I had a fascination, still do, with the 14th century. So I made something called a coat hardy with uh, braids and chausses. And a coat hardy is this very slim, form-fitting doublet, if you want to call it that. Usually what they called was party colors, meaning it had varying colors on it. I went with black and white because those were my colors (laughs) in my house, if that's what you want to call them. A house was like your crew that you hung out with, you know. Oh, your band of merry men. Yes, exactly, exactly. That's perfect description. Yeah, perfect description. Band of merry men and women. Um, and so, and then it also had these long tassets that hang from the the 
elbows and they were usually dagged and I put mine with like an oak leaf oh, motif and stuff like that. And the cool hats and, and things that you would wear. Um, uh, I'm trying to, it's been such a long time. Lira peep. Lira peep is I've this heard, hat. I, I've heard this term. Yes. It's a hat that basically sat upon your head almost like a a, a hood but it had this very long tail, and you wrapped it around your head in a jaunty ma- fashion <laughs> and went about and did your dances and stuff That's like that. That's great. Yeah. Do these photographs exist? They do. <laughs> <laughs> they do. I'd have to look for them, but they do. Um, so that was my thing, and I, I'm kind of a in-for-a-penny-in-for-a-pound type of guy, but I was also poor at the time. Sure. So – I did the best I could, and nobody taught me – well, I got to back up. My wife taught me how to sew a straight line on a machine. That's all you got to do to start. That's right. She taught me how to load a machine up and sew a straight line. And after that, I've always been somebody who can kind of – you know, once I learn a basic thing, I can usually figure out yeah. the more advanced techniques. Yeah, once you learn the tool, you right. can figure out how to use it. And I was not satisfied wearing the basic – as they called it back in the day, the basic tea tunic, you know. Yeah. Lay down two pieces of, of fabric, cut out a tea, and call it a shirt. <laughs> <laughs> which, which we still do today, by the way. Pretty much, yeah. Right? Um, so that's where I got started, was making things for this historical reenactment um, group, the SCA. And then I got involved in other things that were a little bit more – and I started to really kind of advance my skill and what we were wearing. And we all wanted to look not similar, but of a type from a particular time period so that, you know, we weren't like, you know, somebody was wearing like Roman stuff and somebody else was wearing Renaissance stuff and somebody else was wearing, you know, high Middle Age stuff. Mm -hmm. So we all picked that same 14th century time period, roughly about 1350 or so. And so that's how I got started and and kind of leveled up my skill in geek speak. In geekery. Yeah. (laughs) And started doing that. And then... You know, after a while, I was doing it so much, and it really got to be kind of a chore after a while, and I drew drew way back from Ooh, it. Oh, that's just kind of um... – Burnout. Okay, yeah. Burnout, yeah. But at the same time, a lot of sources were coming up that allowed me to – man, I could just spend $40 and get this as opposed to spending four hours and make this. Right. I will have to say that while it was of uh, the same, if not maybe better quality than what I was doing, it wasn't as satisfying. I would. I was going to ask you about that. If it's more satisfying to start with the raw materials and build up. Yes, it is. And it's more satisfying for me. Nobody's going to know sometimes right. when we're doing these reenactings if I have accurate, period, accurate underwear on. Right. But every once in a while, you will meet somebody who's interested in this art, mm-hmm. as you call it, and you're like, "Well, let me show you my underwear." And you got to be kind of careful when you say that. <laughs> you got to be in the right, you right. Be in the right crowd with this. Yeah. And then that's when the payoff comes. Sure. Now, I would also, I'm going to assume, correct me if I'm wrong, that, and you were just saying this, that you were putting your own little flair, your mm-hmm. own little designs on your. I, I'm going to imagine that. Having a personalized garment that is based on the history and Mm -hmm. would be more satisfying as well. Absolutely. Because, you know, you could walk into an event or something like that and 
everybody kind of did it. They they personalized it to themselves, and it was almost like uh, you know, almost like a fashion show in yeah, some ways. Yeah, I would say not just going historically accurate, but putting your own right personality. Yes, I into took it. I took uh, a lot of my um, inspiration from. At least in that case, when I was doing that aspect, the the medieval stuff, of medieval English average citizenry. So I did have a couple of things that were like really fancy, you know, mm-hmm. that I would do for like, you know, the fancier events like balls and, and dances and stuff. But right. for most of the reenactment stuff, it was very basic and very uh, – I hate to say the word, you know, middle class, but that's kind of what it was – uh it's mundane everyday very here. mundane very everyday yeah right i mean there was nothing really fancy there might be a little bit of bling a little bit of this <laughs> but you know in that day and age you didn't have a lot of wealth that you well you did wear your wealth but at the same time it's not something that you it had a lot of it right a, a good suit was was the flashiest thing you had exactly yeah. yes exactly your sunday go to meet and clothes right and also, I'm a practical person. If I'm doing these reenactings, I'm going to sweat. I'm going to get hot. I'm going to get dirty. Nobody <laughs> wants to wash a velvet doublet. <laughs> <laughs> I've washed one. So, yes, you are absolutely correct in that. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of where I started. I also did do uh, – once I got into American Revolutionary War reenacting, that was a little bit – that was a little trickier. In what way? The patterns were far more complicated. Really? At least I found them to be far more complicated. When you try to make a pair of fall front trousers. Oh, sure. Knee breeches. Oh, my gosh. There are pockets and folds and gussets galore. <laughs> <laughs> People figuring out how to make clothes. Right. The time. Okay. And those were the things that I had to stop and say, I just don't have that much skill. And I had to buy. But I did make my own rifleman's frock. I made my own waistcoat. I made my own great coat and all that kind of really? good stuff. Out of wool and linen and stuff like that. Wow, that's fantastic. Yeah. I like a great coat. I've seen, I, as, I, you know, I, I, I'm a theater person, so right. I know the costume industry mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. A great coat is no small feat. It took me a long time. But I, again, going back to what you said, that feeling of accomplishment, when I put it on and it fit – you know, I buttoned it a bit, and it just fit great, and it looked good. I was like, damn, <laughs> damn. You're right. Good fit and suit. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Um, tell me a little bit about the the actual enacting of the, the reenactment stuff. Is it is it acting? Is it just a sport? Which no. I, and I'm, I'm asking because I have no idea. Okay, so let's say you go to a reenactment, be it whatever time period it is, uh, and I do not include – I'm not going to include the Renaissance fairs that are very popular right now. Okay. Okay. Um, although it's tough to do medieval reenacting without it being attached to a medieval fair or a Renaissance fair. So I'll kind of discount that right off the bat because what we were doing in the SCA was really kind of like a private themed party, you know, medieval themed party. There's a lot of okay. information going on, but the public normally wasn't involved. Okay. So let's talk more about like uh, uh, American Revolutionary War or World War II reenactments. So for the Rev War stuff, I belonged to the Culpeper Minute Battalion, which was a unit that was uh, 
created in 1775 and went through most of 1776. And it was located in the uh, Williamsburg, Virginia mm -hmm. area. Okay. And they were a militia group. So we all uh, would get together, our unit would get together, but there'd be other units. There might be the uh, the First Virginia or a Delaware unit, or then there would be the 42nd Highlanders or, the, you know, the Redcoats of, you know. And you'd be camping in this area. The public is invited. And in these camps, you would see examples of everyday life, people cooking in dirt stoves, cooking over a fire, making jerky, or, you know, doing things with some of their weaponry or doing drills. Interesting. Or stuff. And I would bring my kids, and my kids would have a ton of fun because they'd be basically playing with sticks and dirt <laughs> and sleeping in a tent with, you know, it, no real comfort other than a blanket and a pillow. I mean, my kids adapted to it very quickly. Interesting. Um, and some so, of their most fondest memories are doing that. So. so it's not necessarily a performance of sorts. It is not a performance until you get to what might be the draw of the reenactment, which might be the uh, um, the reenactment of a battle or an incident or something like that. Okay. At that point, you get those people who are part of the units, the, the military units, and they will go out and they will, at that point, use their drill training to, you know, to a real purpose and be shooting blank firearms at each other with supposed hits or kills and, mm -hmm. and things like that and reenacting or portraying or performing the outcome of a battle or a skirmish or something like okay. that. But there are also people who do first person and I admire them to no end. First person reenacting where they become a character throughout the entire weekend. And when you come up to them and say, excuse me, can you tell me where the bathroom is? And they'll say, the bathroom? What is the bathroom? Right. You know? Yeah. <laughs> oh, you mean the latrine? Well, it's out there behind the tree. There's a small <laughs> hole in the ground. <laughs> Pick your favorite. Yes. <laughs> yeah. The camps always have their latrine out by, out back, you know, and it's usually not downriver. <laughs> <laughs> but that's interesting. But it's, it's more of a, it's so much more immersion. Yes. For yes, both it is. Right. Mm -hmm. Reenactor and audience for lack of a better word yes so everybody is in some way a little bit of an uh an actor depending on your level and skill of acting some people have been doing it so long that they are the person that they, they portray it, yeah. yeah they live it they live it and breathe it and then some people are just there to have fun with their family and as we say if you're in a military unit burn some powder on a weekend fun you know absolute fun yeah um so do you have a closet full of costumes? Uh, I won't call them costumes because they sound much more than that. They are, and that's a good point because a lot of people, I think, confuse historical reenactment uh, creations in terms of clothing as costumes. I call it garb Okay. because it is something you wear. It is functional. It is something right. you wear, right? And when I do reenactments, I'm in it for three days straight. It's not like I take it off, go back to the hotel and... Right. It's it's your clothing. It, yeah, it is. Now, there are times when I have done that, but at the same time, it is my clothing for the day. Right. Or for the weekend. Um, it is, I call it garb, but it is a, it's not a costume, but it is clothing. It's historical clothing. Right. Okay. Um, I don't know if you can call cosplay stuff anything other than costume. Can you? It, uh, boy... Can you? 
it I, I would put cosplay stuff as all of it costume, and that's me coming from a theater background. Mm-hmm. And because when I say something is a costume, I think of it as a piece of clothing that we uh, nip and tuck and use for a few weeks and put it back away. And it may or may not be accurate, but a costume just has to look the part. Look the part, right. At 50 feet from the back of a galloping gotcha. horse. Yeah, gotcha. So cosplay stuff, I think, is costuming because it has to look mm-hmm. specific or look right, it just at a closer right at a cl- closer distance. Whereas I think what you're describing as historical uh, reenactment, you're not – these aren't cl- – Costumes. This is clothing. They it, may look the part, but it's they look they look the part because they've been built to be the part. Right, and they there's are more supposed, to it than just the looks. And they wear the way they're supposed to wear. Right, and I think yeah. that's one of the biggest yeah. distinctions. Yeah, is that they wear. So to answer your question, yes, I have a lot of this stuff in a <laughs> closet that is also filled with a lot of cosplay stuff too. I mean, I do do some cosplay, and I've done that more recently than I've done reenacting stuff. Um, but, uh, I think I have more uniforms than I think I have pairs of socks. <laughs> I've got a lot. So that's, that's impressive. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I, and it's not always, uh, different stuff. It could be like, I have a black frock coat, a black frock coat and a brown frock coat. And I've got weskets or vests, if you mm-hmm. want to call it. Um, of three or four different colors, and then I have two or three, you know, but there's different stuff. And then I've got my World War II stuff, and I have some stuff that I've got from my medieval stuff. And I call the stuff that I wear from my medieval stuff regular clothing. I've even got armor and stuff like that. Do you really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I have made, um, and I don't know if this is a, this is definitely costuming, or I'm sorry. Yeah, it's costuming, but it is knitting with pliers. I have made chain armor, chain mail armor. Oh, really? Yes. I've made an entire suit. It's called a hauberk, and it's an entire suit of chain mail armor, and it weighs pretty close to about 22 pounds. It, but metal. Metal, yes. Yes, um, full metal. It goes down from my to my wrist down to my mid-thigh. Wow. Mm-hmm. I then, wouldn't call that a costume because I've seen costume yeah. chain mail, and oh. it is just – a silver knit <laughs> right. that doesn't weigh anything. Yes. Yeah. I still don't understand why they still do that in movies. But uh, I think it's more for the high school crowd who, yeah. you know, it's it's that level. But I've seen it in movies not in too far in the distant past. Right. Yeah. But still, um, I have made that. And that is a, a really wonderful that's cool. An accomplishment, <laughs> you know, when some, when you say, oh, here's my chainmail armor that I made, and someone goes, you made it? Yeah. And I was like, well, yeah. <laughs> you can't just go down to Armors R Us. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, or at least not for a very cheap amount. I mean, there are some people who sell full suits of chain armor that is very, very historically, historically accurate, but it costs hundreds, if not $1,000. Yeah. How long did it take you? Um... Dirty little secret is that I did it when I was working at a local hospital in the evening. And so when I got all, I got all my work done as quickly as possible and everybody was gone. So I did it every night for like two or three hours for like almost a year. <laughs> <laughs> but by the time I was getting close to the finished product, 
I kept lugging this bag around that had 22 pounds of chain, mar- <laughs> chain armor in it. <laughs> so wasn't something that I really wanted the boss to be able to see, but, you know, I was working I was going to say, night. you probably started to hear it, too, after yes, a certain Yes, after a point. while, yeah. You pull it out and you throw it on the table and it just, it sounds like, I don't know, just metal <laughs> raining on the table. Yeah. Yeah, a friend of mine had made a hood, a chainmail hood. Mm-hmm. Those are tough. Those were tough. It took him probably four months. Yeah. But he worked on it pretty solidly. Yeah. There's a lot of techniques and uh, different ways of making that, but I went with the traditional four-in-one pattern, which means you have a center ring and then four rings around it, and then you put another center ring on the two on the outside, and then you put two more on that center ring, so it kind of builds. It's like... One, two, one, two, one, two. Very geometric and so on. Yes. Yeah, okay. Yeah, and then if you need to make a curve, oh my God, you have to add an extra ring, and then that just throws your... the whole... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's... Okay, that's fantastic. Because as a kid, I loved... I got really into um, clothing of like the early 20th century. Mm-hmm. You know, the suspenders, the hats. Yes. Especially the hats. I'm a big yeah. hat fan. Mm-hmm. So I have a question for you because you mentioned hats, and I know that you have uh, created some really cool uh, steampunk hats. I have. And steampunk is an interesting animal. I dabbled in it for a while. Um, but I'm always somebody who likes uh, things to be functional and work. And sometimes steampunk stuff doesn't do that. Right. Um, you know, you don't want to just slap gears on it and call it steampunk. You want to you Absolutely. Know, have some cool stuff to it. Uh, where do you fall with the whole steampunk uh, attire in terms of is that more costume or is that more garb? It de- uh, it really depends on where you go with it. Mm-hmm. Because I can see – and I've met a couple people who actually – they do the steampunk thing, and they do their own kind of private, you know, creative anachronism parties and things right. of that nature. But they go all out, and they make corsets and long skirts, and yes. they make those Edwardian, Victorian coats and vests and waistcoats. And um, and they find, pure, you know, beautiful hats. Yes. And But then the steampunk part comes with trying to make it look like it does something else right like i like you're talking about my green bowler hat yes yes yes. well not just that but i mean i love the aesthetic of steampunk i do too i truly do and some people will you know laugh at us and whatnot but i love the aesthetic of it and i love the idea of a a past that never was Mm -hmm. and the idea that you know um i'm not so much about having clothing look like it does something else other than be clothing. Right. But I like the idea of steampunk things like uh, regular things that we have nowadays that look like they've been retrofitted into something. Like, for instance, I made what I would call an ambulatory music box. (laughs) What it was, I went to Hobby Lobby, bought one of these little leather-bound latched boxes. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, and I tore the guts out of a Bluetooth speaker. (laughs) I drilled holes in it, pulled the speakers through, glued them in with hot glue, and then took some um, old motorcycle goggles that had like these uh, side flanges on them for protecting your eye, glued them or or welded them and tacked them onto the side so it looks like they have like amplifying ears. And then I could use my 
And then I made this little copper plate top that had uh, the control buttons for the player. But then I could Bluetooth in and I carry this box around, much like the boom boxes of the 1980s. Oh, funny. That's great. But it was my ambulatory music box. That's great. And I would play. And it functions. And it functions. So, yeah, um, That's that the cool part. Have to, I like things that have to work, but so many things that you want to work can't. That's right. just physically and engineeringly. Yeah. It, it, it just, you can't engineer them to work. Right. But I think part of what ste- uh, steampunk is is making things look like they could work. Right. And if you yes. don't convince me that this actually might be doing something yeah. to you or for you or a Exactly. It, it does, you know, like you said, slapping gears on your top hat. Yeah. That's decoration. Right. If it's something that enhances your brain power yeah. or maybe your ability to see at night, possibly, or something yeah, like that. Absolutely. That whole made up story. I think that's kind of cool. Yeah. I tricked out my green bowler hat. It doesn't do a damn thing, but it looks sharp. It looks sharp, <laughs> but it looks like I could power it up and it does something. Right. You know, it looks yeah. like steam could come out. Mm-hmm. So that was my goal for it, not to just decorate it, right. make it look like it. Uh-oh, that's going to do something. Wiggly flips the switch. And yeah. it does have two mm-hmm. uh, toggle switches on there, so a couple things light up and make sound. So I don't know if you've ever been to a uh, – if you want to see some real artistry at work and on display, go to a steampunk convention. Oh, I'd love to. There's one up in uh, uh, Madison, Wisconsin, usually in November. It's called TeslaCon, and it is probably the biggest – gathering mm-hmm. of steampunks anywhere it's amazing tesla con tesla con i'm gonna have to look that up yeah uh it's uh, eric larson uh he portrays lord bobbins uh, <laughs> uh he does a good job and he's done it now i think it's coming up on his 10th or 11th year wow and i've been to three of them i i just haven't been able to get them I, there's not enough time to do all the fun things i want to do in life but by gosh, I'm going to try. Give it a shot. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, but it's a lot of fun. And the artistry that you see in the garb that these people are wearing and some of the stuff that they create, like my ambulatory music box, some people go even further oh. than that. Yeah, I, I bet. Yeah. Yeah, I bet. I bet. Yeah. Um, one last question. Is there an art form or that you would absolutely not want to get into? Just out of sheer curiosity, because not want to get into because you 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 your interests are far and wide, and we haven't even scraped gaming and Dungeons and Dragons, yeah. and all that good stuff. Yeah, I really enjoy miniature painting and stuff like that. I enjoy making things, you know. Um, but is there something you just that have I no desire? I don't know. And is that even on your radar? <laughs> I, you know what? I don't know what it would be if it's something. I mean, I've always seen artists as people that I'm envious of. Oh, that's an interesting. Okay, so do you have heroes or muses or <sighs> I don't know inspirations? If I, you know, I don't know if I do or not because I don't know if I know them well enough. Uh, but I know what I like. Okay. Oh, does does that help? I mean, I can tell if there's something that an artist has made, whether they're famous or not, I know what I like. There's an appreciation for the visible skill involved. Yes, yes. And it may be something that they did as a one-off and they've never done it again. But But 
it's you know it's, it's art to you yes it's art to me exactly yeah okay i mean i don't really follow artists i don't follow photographers um i really think that stained glass work is cool glass blowing is cool mm -hmm. that's stuff that i think i would enjoy doing and things like that um but at the same time there's other types of arts that just do not appeal to me like you know i just cannot imagine uh I, I, you know, I, I'm going to step back from that. I think that I could probably enjoy a, an, some aspect of just about every art form there is. I kind of think I got too burned out and I'm still a little burned out on, on clothing making. So, <laughs> yeah, but I, I think that's fair because I don't know about you, but I get bored. Mm -hmm. If I get too deep into something, I'll get to a point where you're okay. Yep. I'm looking for something different. Yes, you've reached the level. Not that I hate it. Not yeah. that I want to abandon it for the rest of my life. Yeah. But I need to add some more fuel to my brain. Right. I've done that many times myself. I've reached a point where I feel satisfied with not only my skill, but what I've done or made. And I'm like, I don't need any more of this or yeah. something like that. Yeah. So you're looking for the new shiny. Right. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, who knows? I've still got a number of years before retirement. I don't know what I'm going to do, but, you know. I enjoy doing all kinds of things. One of the things I've been doing over the summer is I take apart, and I don't know if this counts in this thing, in this art discussion, but I take old fence posts, you know, like the picket fences. Okay. And I cut them up, and I rework them and put them together around an old ice cooler and turn it into this wooden, rustic-looking <laughs> chest. But it's a ice cooler on the inside cool you know and i just use old picket fence slats and stuff like that that's all i use that's fun yeah yeah that's art i guess it is have, i i think part of why i want to do part of this podcast yeah is to kind of break down the barriers that people put up between art and craft yes i think that's true yeah i because see anything you do with your hands that's something new I think is art. It doesn't matter what level it is. It doesn't yeah. matter how useful or not useful mm -hmm. or how easy or not easy it is. Yeah. Yeah. Anything that you... I would have to agree 100% with that. Anything you create for yourself is art. That's yeah. my definition. Mm-hmm. And I don't, you know, and I think that's kind of why I like to having these talks. Yeah. Yeah. I probably would not want to do like, uh, uh, okay, and I hope I don't offend anybody, but I've seen some people at some of these renaissance fairs and they call themselves bubble artists that's probably not a job i would want to do <laughs> <laughs> it's fun once <laughs> right <laughs> i've met guys who make a living doing uh, all they do is show up with their bubbles and i know i don't I, know if you'd call them artists but yeah they may have a different term they may have a different opinion kids love it and i bought some of those for some of the neighborhood kids those bubble wands and <laughs> stuff like that and the bubble, bubble ropes yeah yeah and <laughs> i let them play like crazy and by god that that bubble juice killed my entire yard so i'm not doing that again <laughs> it was fun once <laughs> it took two years for that grass really? to grow oh, back no <laughs> it did they don't tell you it's toxic <laughs> to the grass <laughs> okay um now this will have to be the last question okay is there a place where we can see some of your art is there a place where we can Hmm, I... And if not, I will cut this part out. Honestly, I really don't. The only way that I have anything is like 
private or not private, but individual photos that I might have on Facebook or in my okay. photo album at home or something like that. I really don't. I do have a Geekin' with Geikin page on Facebook that sometimes shows some of the art that I've done that isn't necessarily discussed in this interview, but some of my miniature painting and okay, stuff like yeah. that. So, yeah, we'll look for that then. So that's really about the extent of it. It's not very uh, extensive, but it's more of a geek culture page as opposed to my uh, dis a display of my art. Right. So your art is for you and not yeah. really for the world. Yeah, it is. Yeah, and that's one thing that I hope that many people remember is that do the art for you. Don't do it for anybody else. I mean, uh, if you're satisfied with it, Good on you. Don't tell anybody. Don't let anybody tell you. Well, you could have done this better. Yeah, somebody <laughs> then do it for me. <laughs> yeah, I had somebody suggest one of my questions should be: Do you consider yourself an artist? And I thought about it. Like, you know what? I'm not going to ask that. Yeah. Because I want to promote everybody's. Mm -hmm. How whatever you want to call it, it's all art. Yeah, you. And I don't want to. Make that distinction. You've opened my eyes to the fact that while I don't consider myself an artist, what I do has some artistic uh, – it has an artistic level and value to me for certain and in the past to a number of other people who were the beneficiaries of some sure. of the stuff that I made. I mean any, any of that, yeah. if you've influenced anybody else, again, that yeah. goes into the definition of art. Wow, I get to put artist on my resume now. Do it, do it, do it right now. <laughs> okay, I can't thank you enough for sitting down with me and having this conversation. This is wonderful, and I'm I appreciate you asking me. Yeah. No, this I, it's fascinating. The you should try. You should check out some reenactments sometimes if you ever hear them. Usually they're at like uh, local historical sites, but okay, yeah. uh, you might find some really interesting insight into artistic work in historical reenactments. Yeah. And that goes for everybody listening. Yeah, absolutely. exactly. Thank you very much, Dean. Thank you. And everybody, go make some art.